This is Real Estate Rookie episode 342. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast, where every week, twice a week, we're bringing you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, today, we're switching it up just a little bit. Um, You guys don't get uh, a bunch of questions from the Rookie audience today, but you get to hear for me, from my experience, and Ashley's going to kind of interview me today uh, to talk all about private money lending. Yeah, we're going to do a deep dive into everything and anything you need to know about being a private money lender or getting money from a private money lender. We're going to talk about putting together the contract, the amortization schedule, what kind of document you need to file with the county clerk to kind of make it official. Um, So we're going to go through those documents that you need. We'll give a little tax advice as to things you should consider for your taxes. And then Tony also tells us how much money he had to pay out of pocket to a private money lender when his flip it didn't sell. So uh, it's a it's a jaw-dropping amount of money, Tony. So um, make sure you, you listen for that. And I think it's a great example as to the kind of character and trait that you should look for when you are investing with somebody too. And we definitely talk about scenarios where you can protect yourself and also what kind of standards you should have uh, for the person you're investing with and also as uh, the private money lender. So today we're going to dive into one of my secret weapons in my real estate business, and that is private money, raising private money from other people, using that money to fund your deals. It's been an absolute game changer for my ability to transact on deals. And I'm able to scale at a rate that I wouldn't have been able to if I was just using, using my own capital. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what a private money lender is, how to set those relationships up, how to navigate the waters of private money lending, and, and hopefully give you a roadmap for doing this in your own business as well. Tony has a lot more experience with private money lenders. So we're going to be focused mostly on Tony's story today to kind of guide you guys and give you an all-inclusive kind of guidebook as to what private money is, and how to actually get a private money lender. So I'm going to be kind of leading the questions today. Tony will be my lovely guest on the show. (laughs) Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. 
That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. First off, I want to start with who was your first private money lender? When did you take that leap? Because you have talked about your first properties a lot. You went to that bank in Louisiana. They funded (laughs) the purchase price, the rehab. What kind of made that transition from using bank financing to private money? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Ash. And maybe we should even start just like with what the differences are, right, between mm-hmm. traditional bank financing, uh, hard money loans, and then private money. Um, a traditional bank, like traditional bank financing, is what most people think of when they think of going to get a loan. You're going to your local credit union, your local regional bank, your big national bank, and you're applying for a mortgage with that institution. Um, so that's traditional banking. Um, and then you have hard money lenders, which focus more so on the real estate investor. And that's where a lot of people who are doing like the fix and flips or, or burrs are going with the hard money lender. Hard money lenders are typically also institutions significantly smaller than some of the big banks that you're going to be working with. Um, but typ- typically these are businesses, right? These are people who make a living, right? These are businesses who uh, generate revenue and profits by lending money out to investors. And hard money's a good in between, right? Because you're going to be able to get debt on properties you definitely wouldn't be able to get a loan on from like Bank of America. Um, but it's typically a little bit more expensive as well, right? You're going to pay a higher interest rate. You're going to pay more fees. And typically hard money lenders are are a bit more rigid in what they want from a borrower and from a property. And um, so, you know, but it's a good stepping stone, right? But as a rookie, honestly, sometimes hard money lenders are tough to get into. They're, they're going to want more capital down, higher interest rates and things of that nature. And then the third type is the private money lender. And to me, this is like the the holy grail of getting your deals funded because there's significantly more flexibility when you're working with the private money lender. Um, typically, when we say private money, we're talking about an individual or maybe like one or two people that are working together. Um, but the benefit of going with 
with private money versus hard money is you get to uh, really kind of have a say in what those terms look like. So how much down payment, if any, uh, the interest rate, the term, like all of that is negotiable when you're talking with the person as opposed to doing it with the business. So at a high level, that's that's kind of the the differences there. Um, Ash, I've, I've never used hard money. Have you used hard money in, in for any of your projects before? Yeah, I've used uh, one hard money lender and I actually mm. did a line of credit with them where I was able to get up to, I think it was um, 1.5 million line of credit. So I was already basically approved to borrow that amount from them. I still had to bring each property to them. They would vet the property and then loan me the money and it was the max 1.5 million. I couldn't have more money out than that with them. So I actually did it for three properties. Um, and it, honestly it was a nightmare. I hated it <laughs> <laughs> compared to private money or even bank financing. So was that the hard money lender that you had recommended to me? The one that, that uh, I think I remember this and yeah, I, if I recall the the person, I, I remember some headaches with, uh, with that one. Um, but to, to go back to answer your, your other question, Ash, about like what, what caused the transition. So, um, as we were building out the business, we, we realized that we needed to go after, um, you know, properties that needed some work and the ability to get turnkey deals. It was drying up a little bit. We, we couldn't find as many good deals just sitting on the MLS that were turnkey ready to go. So we were kind of forced into, uh, you know, rehabbing properties. Uh, so once we made that decision to start going down that route, I definitely didn't want to go the hard money route. So I said, Hey, let me, let me tap into my network and see if I can find some folks that might be willing to uh, fund these deals for us. You know, and, and luckily I already had some folks that I knew that were successfully leveraging private money. So, you know, you ask a few questions, kind of understand how to set things up. And I had a really, really good uh, escrow officer that I, that I work with here in Southern California. And she honestly educated me quite a bit on the process as well. So it was really just out of necessity that we needed to go down the, the route for private money. Yeah, for me, starting with private money, it was um, working for another investor and uh, I managed a lot of his companies. And one of the companies was kind of at a stalemate where it wasn't really doing anything. And it was collecting um, interest from loans on vehicles. So this company had created with another business partner, actually almost like a loan shark on vehicles. So if you couldn't get a loan on your, your car, you could come to them and they would charge you 15 to 20% interest on your, your car loan and you would pay them. And there was just uh, there was no activity anymore. They had maybe like four loans that were still uh, being paid over the, over the amortization. And there was a line of credit with this company. So I approached him and said, you know, what if I paid you more interest than your line of credit? And I borrowed this money to purchase his property. And so that was my first private money lender and still one of my private money lenders today. But very, very casual as in the agreement of that private money as far as, you know, the documentation and stuff like that. There was no actual lien on the property. It was just we had a note payable and a contract uh, between the two of us for that. And that was just because of the trust we have built up. If I was to do it with anybody else, it would definitely be you know, we would do it the proper Slightly way different. that Tony is going to <laughs> explain today, the proper yeah. way to do it and um, not this way. So, uh, Tony, let's start off with what are uh, 
some of the documentation that you should actually use when you're putting together private money. I also, you know, you, you said something important, actually, I just want to circle back to, but like the, the trust piece. Um, and I, I think I definitely do think that that, that plays a role in kind of how this relationship looks. You know, if, if you're, if you're getting, you know, if you're lending from someone that you've worked with a dozen times, maybe you don't need to, to go through all the, the hoops that I'm going to talk through today. Like, you know, we, we have a, a mutual friend, Cam and Lexi, who, who flip out in the Midwest. And um, I know that they typically, uh, you know, their setup is a little bit different than mine, right? And, and I think a little bit more laxed. Um, Amy Majuri, who's been on a few episodes of the, the Real Estate Podcast, I think it was like 636 was her first episode. Um, but if you go back and listen to Amy's episode, uh, I've, I've spoken with her and, you know, a lot of times she'll take the money directly from the private money lender. So everyone kind of does it differently. So, um, as long as you're not like breaking laws in your state, um, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to do it my way. My way is just one approach that's worked well for me that kind of helps me sleep better at night, uh, with the way that I have it structured. But one of the things that makes me think about too, Ash, is that the trust thing is important because the private money relationship is a partnership, right? It is a, it is a form of a real estate partnership, which if you haven't picked up the real estate partnerships book, head over to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships. And, uh, we actually do have a chapter in the book where we break down the differences between like a, a, a private money partnership and an equity partnership. Right. Um, so, you know, if you want to understand what more of those nuances are, you can jump into the book, but just know there are differences, but anyway, going, going back to your question, Ash, Ash about, um, sorry, <laughs> just call you Ash. <laughs> you did i didn't uh, you guys can cut that or, or just leave it in or leave it uh, yeah and just just bleep it out um but uh but going back to your question ash um so there, there's two main i guess really three main documents that i create whenever i'm entering into a private money partnership we have the promissory note we have the deed of trust and then we have the amortization schedule. And I'll, I'll break down each of those in a little, bit, a little bit more detail. So first is the promissory note. This is basically the outline of what this loan looks like. So myself and the private money lender are entering into an agreement about the amount of money they're going to give me. Uh, how long are they going to lend that money out, right? What's the term of that, that note? Uh, what is it going to cost me to, to borrow that money? So what's the interest rate? Uh, what happens if uh, I need to extend? What happens if I'm, you know, whatever rules you want to put into your, your note with that person, um, uh, that's what goes into, into the promissory note. So for us, like I said, typically we'll have the actual loan amount, right? So uh, like, you know, someone might loan us 350,000 bucks, right? So that's the, the note amount. Then we'll have the actual term. So how long can I hold this money uh, from this person? How long are they loaning it out to me? We typically set our terms to be about 12 months, not about to be exactly 12 months. Uh, and then we usually have an option to extend. And if we have to extend, there are some incentives for the lender. We always have the interest rate and that's an annual interest rate. So say that someone um, lends us, I'll use round numbers here. Say that someone lends us $120,000. And they're doing that at a 10% interest rate. That means over the course of an entire 12 months, they're going to get back 10% or 12,000 bucks, which will be a thousand bucks per month in interest that they're accruing. So that's how we, we set up our notes is that it's an annual interest rate that they're, that they're getting. And then we also have the terms of repayment. Um, so we typically set our notes up so that we're not making any monthly payments during the life of the loan. 
we pay the private money lender back at the end of the project. So that's either when we sell or refinance the property. But during the actual rehab itself, we're not making any payments. And again, that's something that we're able to negotiate with the private money lenders. If it was a hard money lender, it might be different. But private money lenders, we have that flexibility. Um, and then we also talk about like the I guess I'll get into this later with the amortization schedule, but it's also like, how is this loan being amortized or how is this loan being uh, kind of structured from like a principal versus interest? Our loans are always um, like, we're not paying down any of the, the principal balance during the life of the loan. So that interest is just accruing. So if someone gives us money, their principal balance remains the same. And then we're just adding interest on top of that every single month. Um, so that, that's kind of how we set it up from the note perspective. Yeah. So with the, the note, is this uh, something your attorney is drawing up and what is your recommendation for, should you get a sample from somebody else? Should it be mm -hmm. specific to your state, the private money lender state, the state the property is in, or does it not matter? Good question. So um, I had my attorney draft up the note for me. Typically, she's the one that does it. Um, actually on a, on a refinance, we just did my escrow company did it for me. Um, so I'd say go to, uh, an attorney that's in your state or maybe in the state where the property's at that probably maybe makes more sense. I don't know. I don't know which one is more important, either your residence or the state's or the property's residence. Um, but my attorney is the one that usually drafts it up for me and I actually have just like a template, um, that that's like fill in the blank. So every time I have a new deal, instead of me going back to my attorney, I'm just filling in the specifics of that deal. What's the amount, what's the term, what's the interest rate that's typically all the information I need to update and then that person's name. So the attorney is the one that usually drafts it for me. And what about your name? Are you putting your personal name? Are you putting the LLC of the property? Uh, do you have another company that's going on uh, the document? Yeah, so we usually put the name of the LLC on the note um, and usually because it's our LLC that owns the property as well. Um, so yeah, but we put our LLC on the note. I've only had one instance where, um, a lender asked for a personal guarantee where if for whatever reason, the entity itself wasn't able to pay the loan that I would then become personally liable. Um, but outside of that, typically it's just our LLCs that are signing, um, for the, for the property. So you want to move into that amortization piece as to yeah. what, how you're kind of defining the terms of it. Are you making monthly payments? Are you paying at the end? Is it interest only? What are some of the options you can do as far as that repayment term? And how are you putting that into the contract? So I'll go into the, the amortization schedule and then I'll finish off with the, with the deed afterwards because the deed kind of ties it all together. But the, we always create an amortization schedule. So if you've ever purchased a, a home uh, in your loan, that big loan packet they made you sign, somewhere in that loan packet is an amortization schedule. And that schedule basically says, over the term of your loan, let's say you typically have like a 30 year fixed mortgage, you're gonna see payments, monthly payments stretched out over 30 years. Um, and then every single one of those lines for every single month will show the payment amount that you're making. Uh, and then of that payment amount, what amount is going towards your principal pay down and what amount is going towards your interest payments. And you guys can just Google like amortization schedule, you'll, you'll see an example of this. Um, but with a usual mortgage, with a traditional mortgage, when you make a payment, uh, that payment every month, again, goes towards both your principal and a portion goes towards your interest. When we set up our private money deals, these are typically interest only. So it means we're not making any uh, payments that go towards principal reduction. So at the end of the term, the 12 month term, we're paying back the entire initial principal that someone gave us plus the interest that's accrued. So it works out well for us 
because uh, we don't have to make any payments during the actual loan, but it also works out for the private money lender because they're their interest is based off of that principal balance position isn't getting smaller. So they're, they're getting a nice big payday back um, at the end, but that's, that's typically how we set it up. Okay. So then um, the deed of trust explain, you know, why that's important and how you include this as part of the documentation. Sorry, just actually one other thing on the, on the amortization schedule, Mm -hmm. I would recommend that everyone include that. Um, when they're talking with their private money lenders, just for sake of clarity, because it's very clear both in the notes, but then people can also see it visually in the amortization schedule that they're not getting any payments during the life of the loan, and they can see how much interest is accruing on a monthly basis. So they know, hey, if this project goes four months, here's the interest payment that I'm getting back, right? In, in addition to my principal. If it goes eight months, here's the interest payment that I'm getting back in addition to my principal. So it really lays it out clearly upfront um, for the private money lender before they make a commitment to investing with you. Um, it just kind of reduces any ambiguity there. I do have a, a couple recommendations. So you mentioned yeah. just Googling the amortization seat bankrate.com has a very user friendly one to generate it. Just put in $100,000, 5% amortized over 10 years and just see what it spits out. Um, there's also an app, Easy Calculators, which also has the amortization in there for a loan too, or all different mm-hmm. types of loan products. You can kind of play with the numbers, even for seller financing to try to, you know, put an offer together. Those are some great resources there. And I took the the easy route. I just like made like a simple um, like Excel, Google Sheet, like template. So every time now I just go in, I update the loan amount, the interest rate when it starts. And I'm just able to like drop that into the note every time. So everybody always says to me, lady in the streets, but a freak in the spreadsheets. And here's Tony. Yeah. <laughs> here's a spreadsheet I created. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it worked out really well for us, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So then the third document is the deed of trust. And um, you know, if, if you guys go back and listen to Pace's episode, uh, he does a really good job of like breaking down the difference between um, like the deed, the title, the mortgage, like these are all separate things. Um, so when we have a private money relationship, uh, we are on title for the property, right? It's so like my LLC, right? Like Tony Robinson's home flipping LLC is listed as the owner of that property. Um, we're then listed as a person that's, um, on the note, right? So we owe the, you know, Jane Doe $350,000. But then when you look up the county records, Um, even though we are listed as the owner, the person who has the note has a lien against the property, right? So their, their private money note is shown as a lien against the property in the same way a traditional mortgage is listed as a lien against your primary residence. Um, and the way that that happens is through the deed of trust and it has a different name in every state in California. It's called the deed of trust. Um, I think the general name is a mortgage security document. So every state has some sort of mortgage security document in California it's called a deed of trust. Um, so that deed of trust basically takes the, uh, promissory note, right? The debt that that person is giving us and it ties it to the property. Okay. It ties it to the property. And what happens is that if for whatever reason, some worst case scenarios say that we are unable to uh, complete the rehab or we're, we're unable to sell the property, we're unable to refinance, or we're unable to fulfill our duties to repay that promissory note, 
um, that deed of trust then gives the private money lender the right to foreclose on the property, take it from us, obtain ownership, and then they can go out and fix it themselves, sell it, do, do whatever they want with it. But the deed of trust is that document that really solidifies everything and gives the private money lender protection um, in case we ever stop making payments. Okay, so now you have disclosed all of this, you've presented it to your private money lender. And to before you're putting these documents together to kind of backtrack, are you agreeing on these terms before you actually put the documents together? Or is this part of your presentation as to here's the terms I'm offering and mm -hmm. you are giving them everything right there? Or is negotiating taking place beforehand? Great question, Ashton. It's, it's usually the latter where we've already kind of set up the terms that we feel will will make sense for this deal. And honestly, our terms are pretty much the same always. Like the only thing that will change is the the interest rate, kind of given where interest rates are at in general, right? Um, you know, when when the market was at like a 3% interest rate, uh, I think we were offering folks 10. Now that we're at 7, 8%, right? We're offering a little bit more than that. Um, but we typically present to people, hey, here's the amount that we're looking to raise. Here's the interest rate that we're offering. And here are the terms of the deal. And if this is something that you're, that you're interested in, you know, reach back out and let us know. And what I'll usually do is, um, you know, I'll, when I send out the information, I'll send basic details of the property itself. And um, I'll always include like a short loom video uh, of me walking through both the promissory note and the deed of trust. So that way people who maybe haven't been private money lenders before have an understanding of what the process looks like. So a lot of the breakdown I just gave right now, I have that in a loom video. So I'll send out the details of the, the, you know, the, the flipper, the rehab that we're looking, looking to get funded along with that loom video. And then I'll say, Hey, if you're interested, you know, reach back out to, to me and my team. As far as the contract. So when the lender agrees already to sign, who do you recommend they put the name of the contract in? So we talked for you, you're putting it into your company name, but what about for the lender? What is your recommendation? So should someone put it in their personal name? Should they have their own LLC? That's a good question. You know, no one's ever actually asked that. And I'd say all of our lenders um, are, are doing this in their personal names, right? So like uh, all the notes are, you know, their personal names. Um, when you look up on the county records, who has lien, it's their personal name. Um, so I, yeah, everyone's sending it through their personal name. And again, I think that's because most of the folks that I work with, these aren't professional private money lenders, right? They do this yeah. a ton. Um, so I don't know, maybe that'd be a good question for like Amanda Hahn or some of our, our legal folks to see if there's an incentive from a tax perspective to run it through um, an LLC as opposed to their personal name. It could possibly be, right? Because it Interest collected, I think, is considered as active income. So if you're if you're running that through an LLC instead, that's taxed as an S corp, you might get some favorable benefits. But again, I, we probably need to pull Amanda Hahn on to to get some insight there. Yeah, and one other thing we need to talk about too is if you are paying somebody interest, especially if you're doing it out of your LLC, is that sending them a 1099 INT at the end of the year, letting them you know so it's reported as to how much interest you paid them, and then it has to be claimed on the lender's taxes too, that they received mm -hmm. this income of the interest too. So take into account that you will have to most likely pay somebody to do this. Everybody always forgets to factor into their numbers, the, the bookkeeping, the cost of the LLC, the cost of the tax return. And also if you're using private money, you will have to file the 1099s and you can do them online. They're pretty fairly easy to use, but 
There's also software that you can pay to do it, or you can have your accountant or CPA do that for you too. But something to really think about is make sure that you are filing those when you are using private money and sending them to. If you are doing it in your personal name, I don't think you have to issue a 1099 though. You know, I, I did ask my CPA and she said that we didn't have to, you know, and that it was more so up to the the lenders to, you know, scouts honor to to report that <laughs> on their personal tax return. So we haven't issued any any 1099s in our business. Um, but, it, you know, it, it does bring up a, an important point, actually, about like the the entity piece. So we do all of we, we have like a separate entity. I guess let me let me take a step back. So uh, the tax advice that I've been given is that you always want to separate your rental income from your active income. So rental income, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, you know, all that is rental income. And then things like flipping, wholesaling, uh, that's all active income, right? So we have one entity for all of our, our rentals. Uh, and then we have a separate entity for, um, for our active income. So our flips, um, I don't really wholesale as much anymore. Only did that a few times, like our, our events, our coaching program, our media stuff, like all that's in one entity. And again, the reason why was because uh, apparently you don't want to mix your active income and your passive income into one entity because some of those benefits of the passive uh, investing go away if, the, if they're co-mingled in the same entity with your active income. So from the borrower side, that's typically how we set it up as well. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. 
Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so one of the other questions I have is regarding insurance. So are you putting these private money lenders as a mortgagee on your insurance policy like you would do when you have a mortgage on the property? We are not. Yeah. So just, you know, we we just factor in the cost of the insurance policy. We'll, you know, we usually buy a year up front. And we'll just make sure that that's done during escrow as well. So the, the homes are always insured, but we're not, you know, like some lenders, like real lenders, like actual institutions, Thanks. they're yeah. going to want to make sure, right. They're going to want to make sure that you have like, you know, that they have proof of insurance. And if they don't, they're going to put like the lender approved insurance, like they're going to force that onto your property. Uh, we, we don't, again, that's the benefit of going with the private money lenders that they're just more so focused on the return. They're trusting us to make sure that the asset is insured. Um, and that, that's typically how we set it up. Yeah. And part of the mortgagee side of it too, is being listed as the mortgagee is to make sure that the bank gets paid out first so that the bit, mm-hmm. the check actually goes to them and not you too. So <laughs> I was just yeah. curious if any of your private money lenders had that requirement at all or, you know, asked for that. But I think it's something a lot of people probably don't even think of, or, you know, they have that trust that, is there anything in your contract that states like, you know, if the property were to burn down or there was a, you know, the loss of the property, that, you know, the insurance proceeds would go to the private money lender or, you know, like a portion of it would or, you know, or it's a complete loss. They don't get anything, (laughs) you know, if you will rebuild and they have to keep their money in the deal until you rebuild anything like that. I just I'm thinking of this all off the top of my head because I've never about it either that way yeah no yeah it's a it's a good question so we don't we don't have anything in the like in the promissory note specifically Mm -hmm. that that dictates that um but here's the thing that i always tell all of our private money lenders it's like all it takes is one 
angry private money lender to go on their Instagram, go on their TikTok, go on their Facebook, in the Facebook groups, wherever, and yeah. say, I lent money to Tony J. Robinson, and it was the worst experience ever. And now our ability to raise capital for all of our future deals is like significantly impacted. So I've always shared with every person that we've done a deal with, like what's most important to me first is my reputation. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm always going to do what I, whatever I need to do to, to make our, our private money lenders whole. So, you know, we had an episode earlier this year where I shared like one of our flips where the market shifted. We have a buyer that backed out. By the time we found that next buyer, like things just weren't working out how we wanted to. We ended up having to refinance the property. And it was a flip where we were supposed to make like six figures on the actual flip. And it ended up turning into a refinance where I had to put in over $200,000 to make sure that we pay back our private money lender on time, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm always willing to take the hit myself personally to make sure that we're making the private money lenders whole so that way I can continue to raise, you know, money from people down the road. Well, what if everyone isn't as ethical as you, Tony? If you are <laughs> yeah. lending the money, would you suggest uh, somebody, you know, ask that question yeah as to you know what happens if this happens you know the the place burns down or in, even in your situation but maybe let's go into that is how are some ways that you can protect yourself as a private money lender so in your contract what are some things that puts you know things in place where people who are lending you money feel safe and secure i, I think you know if first first thing I'll say is that I, I think that's why a big piece of a successful private money relationship is the pre-existing relationship, right? Where it's like, hey, you you've you've met this person a couple times, you've maybe seen some of their track record already, you you've got a good sense of who they are as a person. Um, you know, if someone just walked up to you and you know you've only had one conversation at a meetup, maybe don't give them five hundred thousand dollars to go fund you know their their very first flip. Um, so I think you know have a little bit of not common sense, but have a little bit of, um, I don't know, vetting this person, right? And, and, and vetting that to, to make sure that this is someone that you want to get, get into bed with. Um, but I think if a private money lender really wants to protect themselves, like just, just look at what a hard money lender does. Because hard money lenders do this as a true business, and they've perfected the art of, uh, of protecting themselves, because that's their, that's their first priority. Um, so private or hard money lenders typically want down payments, right? They're not going to let you fund the entire thing. Um, whereas for us with our private money lenders, like that's a requirement for us, right? Like we want to make sure that whoever we're working with trusts us enough to fund the entire deal. Um, hard money lenders typically charge higher fees or maybe don't even work with new investors at all, right? Like if you've never done a flip, some hard money lenders don't even want to look at you, right? Because they're like, hey, there's too much risk inherent in that. Um, so I, I think if private money lenders want to protect themselves a bit more, like just go fill out an application for a hard money lender and see what all those things are that they're looking for and see what you can pull into <laughs> your own private money relationship. And it's a great way to kind of steal from someone else. Okay. Let's keep rolling with questions to be asked. And this one would be from somebody lending you money. What happens if I want my money back beforehand? So before you sell the flip or before you refinance? So it's it's a question that's probably one of the top two questions that come up. Um, and so the first one is like, hey, what if I want my money back sooner? Second question is, um, you know, what happens if you can't sell this property for what you think? So on that first piece, like what happens if I want my money back sooner? The way we've set up our notes is that um, once it's inside, you can't touch it until the project's done. And we communicate that very clearly up front to say like, hey, this isn't like a, a stock that you can just kind of trade in and trade out. 
you know, whenever it's convenient for you. Don't invest this money if you can't, um, you know, if you aren't comfortable with the idea of it being locked up for at least 12 months, right? Like if you know you're going to need this money back in four months, don't, don't do the deal, right? Um, we'd rather have someone um, tell us no up front than get into the deal and, and you know, down the road say, hey, we, we want to change things up. So we communicate that very clearly up front that you can't. And then, like I said, that, that second question that always pops up is, hey, what happens if you guys can't execute your business plan? And like I mentioned earlier, our goal is to always make our private money lenders whole and whatever means we need to do to, to make that happen, we're, we're willing and, and ready to do. Um, so like I said, that last flip, you know, we came out of pocket over 200,000 bucks to make sure we completed that refinance and paid that person back. And, you know, if we need to sell it for a loss, we'll do that. You know, luckily we haven't had to do that yet, but um, whatever steps we need to take, that's what we're willing to do to, to make sure that those, um, those lenders get paid back. And hopefully everybody that lends money to an investor is an investor like you, or they will do everything to get paid back. Well, just real quick, guys, because we also yeah. had, I wish I could remember what episode, maybe our producers can help us out, but we had, um, gosh, was it JP Desmond, I think was the one that lost the money on the, uh, on those flips. Wasn't it like half a million or something? Yeah, or it was, it was a, lot, a good chunk a of cash, right? That he had, and um, his flip kind of fell apart and he basically just like, quote unquote, refinance to restructure that debt into a longer term. So I think he was paying them back like over three years, even though the, the flip had already fallen apart, right? So there are always ways, again, assuming you're working with someone of, of high character um, that, that really does want to make sure that they protect that relationship, there are always ways to uh, try and make that person whole again. Um, ideally, the best solution is you go into it, you knock it out, you know, everything works perfectly and um, everyone gets paid back on time and on schedule. Yeah, and that was episode 279, if you want to hear that story. Okay, so now, Tony, what happens if you can't sell? You've kind of alluded through this throughout the episode. What are some maybe restructuring ideas somebody can put together or different extra strategies they could maybe present to the private money lender? I guess I'll give you two different scenarios. So I already gave you the first one where we basically just refinanced the property ourselves and, you know, came out of pocket a significant amount of cash to get that, that refinance done. But we had a second um, rehab where we didn't want to complete the refi because rates had just gone up, um, you know, and, and like the amount of cash we're going to put down, plus the, the increased interest rate, it just didn't make sense for us. So we were able to negotiate with that private money lender to extend his note for another year give him a slightly higher interest rate. And even though the monthly payment was going to be higher than what it would have been if we refinanced, our overall profit at the end of the year would have been higher because we didn't have this big cash outlay to complete the refinance while still giving us time to hopefully see what rates do over the next you know 12 months. Um, so he was happy and willing to uh, refinance because it, it meant that he's still collecting that interest. And for him, that's better than it just sitting in a bank doing nothing. Um, so that was that was the second option. It's like, hey, if you approach that private money lender and if they're not in a rush to get those funds back today, then just give them those, that option and say, hey, let's extend for another XYZ, right? Whatever period you want to pitch to them, see if they're open to it. And then you just kind of redraw the documents to make sure that everything's lined up with those new terms of that deal. Okay, Tony, this all sounds wonderful, but how do you find these people to give you your money? Great, great, great question. Um, so I'm there, there's two different ways to, to go about it, right? Actually, honestly, you should be doing all these things, right? So let me kind of break it down, right? I'll talk the, the kind of in-person activities and the digital activities. So from an in-person perspective, 
Um, what I think every aspiring uh, you know, person that wants to raise capital should be doing is they need to build their network and not in a kind of, you know, self-motivating way, but just like understanding that the more people that you know, the more people you're able to provide value to, the higher your chances, the higher your opportunities of finding the right person to fund your deals. So say that I'm a, I'm a rookie starting from zero. Uh, the very first thing I would do is look at my local network or I'm sorry, look at my local city, look at my local area and try and find some of those real estate meetups that are happening in that area. And I would go to as many of those meetups as I can for as, as often as I can. And not necessarily with the intention of like pitching everyone right away to say, hey, will you be my private money lender? But just talking to folks right? and understanding what their motivations are, understanding why they're looking at potentially well, like what, what motivated them to come to this meetup, right? And what you're looking for are people who understand the value of investing in real estate, but don't necessarily have the time, desire, or ability to do it themselves, right? That is your ideal person to be a private money lender because it means they've got the capital, but they don't have, maybe they don't, they don't want the headache of managing a rehab, right? Like that's just not what they wanna do. They don't really like the idea of tenants, right? And, and shopping for deals and giving 10% to a property manager doesn't make sense. So they're still wanting to use real estate to give them those good returns, but they don't want to do the work themselves. I think that's the ideal person for you to work with. Um, and you can kind of pick up on those things based on the language that people use, right? Like if someone says, if someone mentions that they have a, uh, you know, a stereotypical, like high paying job, doctor, lawyer, um, you know, I don't know, engineer, software engineer, like anything that's like super high six figure salary. Um, but they're like, man, I work, you know, 60 hours a week and, you know, I barely have time for my wife and kids, but I really want to do this real estate thing. Like those are cues without them saying, I've got a ton of capital, right. That, that you can kind of pick up on to, to say that, or people that maybe have, um, uh, like, for example, I have folks, uh, some of our private money lenders that, uh, invest using, uh, their 401ks. And they'll basically like take a loan out against their 401k at a relatively low interest rate and then relend that money out to us where we're paying them, you know, 5x what they're, you know, paying on their, on their 401k loan. Like that's another cue to kind of look for. So I think that the goal is to get out to these local meetups, network with people, understand what their motivations are. And then when you, when you meet that person where goals might align, it's a simple question of like, hey, sometimes I find deals, um, and you know, uh, Maybe this is a good fit for you. Maybe it isn't. But sometimes I find deals that I present to, to some folks that they're able to fund. Is that something that you might be interested in? Like if I find a, a decent deal, would you mind if I sent it to you just to, to give it a look over? And if it's not a good deal for you, no sweat. But, you know, maybe there's a chance we can work together. Right. Super unabrasive, very disarming, but just float that idea. And they might say, yeah, sure. Send it my way. Right. Or they might say, ah, I don't really think I want to do that. No harm, no foul. So that, that would be my first step, Ashley, is going to some of those local meetups and building your, your network out that way. I do want to touch on one more thing is I feel like this is having a private money lender relationship. It's almost like a, a testing ground for partnerships. So maybe even before jumping into creating an LLC or a joint venture agreement with someone, maybe that's actually your first kind of baby step is to where they are just you know, lending you money on the deal and they're just, you know, a debt partner instead of giving them any kind of equity or ownership in the deal to kind of test just how that relationship goes with the person before you go ahead and build out, you know, a 
huge real estate portfolio with the person not knowing much about them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ashley. And honestly, two of our private money lenders have transitioned to becoming uh, like equity partners for mm -hmm. us. And the majority of our private money lenders have done multiple deals with us. Um, we've had a few that were like one and done's like, Hey, you know, I lent you money, but now I went out and bought my own property. Um, but the majority are like, you know, we've done business with multiple times and it is a really good way to kind of build that relationships uh, with folks. And it's really cool because if we're in a private money relationship and you know, you're really good about letting us do what we're supposed to be doing. And you know, you, you check in at the beginning of the deal, we check in with you at the end of the deal and you're just all thumbs up. That's a good sign to me that you'll, you'll probably be a good equity partner as well. But say we do a private money relationship and you're calling me every other week saying, Hey, Tony, the floor is in yet. Hey, Tony, is, is the backsplash in? Hey, Tony, the cabinets in? Hey, Tony, what's the paint color? Like those, you know, that that's you, um, kind of stepping into my world of work and not necessarily the person that I want to partner with on an equity deal. Um, so I, I think the private money relationship is a really good stepping stone uh, to potential long-term equity relationships, or it could just be, you know, hey, this is going to be a good private money relationship. We're both going to be happy. This person's going to continue to work their high-paying W-2 job, and I'm going to continue to use their excess funds to give them a better return than what they get leaving it in the bank or put it in a CD or wherever. Um, and it's a mutually beneficial relationship for, for all of us. Well, Tony, thank you so much for the wealth of knowledge for everyone today. I've thoroughly enjoyed having you as a guest on the podcast. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to this week's Rookie Reply. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. Don't forget to check out our new book at biggerpockets.com slash partnerships. We will see you guys with another guest. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.